Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Misconduct. I'm Eileen, and as always, joining me is Colleen. Also joining us today for her first monthly episode is Nicole. So Nicole's been with us uh, with the podcast from the beginning, just kind of behind the scenes. She's helped us out so much, and we wanted to fit her into the schedule on a regular basis. So this is the so now basically the first week of the month. Uh, there will be an episode with Nicole, and I personally feel like she's picked out some of our best cases, like the Papon sisters and Otto in the attic. Oh, definitely. So, yes, please welcome Nicole. Uh, you also might have seen her posting on our Facebook group. She's pretty active on there. And how are you doing today, Nicole? I'm doing great. First, I'd like to say thank you for having me be officially a part of Misconduct. I'm so excited to contribute once a month. Today's case is a little different than the last two that I put together. This crime was suggested to me by a coworker who knew the women involved. She was very helpful while I was researching the case, and I just wanted to acknowledge that. So thank you, friend. We also have a new Patreon patron that we wanted to give a special thank you to. Thank you to Kristen for your Patreon support. If you're liking the show, you can see our rewards at patreon.com slash misconduct and consider pledging to the show. We're offering things like stickers and mugs, so if you have a minute, you should check it out. We have some five-star reviewers to shout out as well. Thank you to Nature Girl from Stitcher. Uh, Classen Cassio, pardon me for saying that wrong, and uh, Livia Pet 73 and Larry Hat for your feedback. We loved reading all your comments. You guys are really the best. If you're liking the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. Your feedback helps us improve the show, and ratings help others find the show as well. If you follow us on Twitter, you might have seen us tweeting about a new campaign called Two Podcasts a Day. Misconduct is taking part in the campaign, and we are aiming to introduce listeners to two independent podcasts each day for 30 days. This campaign is giving visibility to some great indie podcasts that you might not have otherwise heard of. Two Pods a Day encourages you to listen more and listen indie. Find more shows like ours by following Two Pods a Day on Twitter and Instagram, or you can search for the hashtag Two Pods a Day. We will be retweeting all of the recommendations. And can you believe it? It is June already, month six of our podcast. Also, our May giveaway has officially ended, and we will be announcing the winners on next week's episode. We hit 100,000 listens very quickly, and we really couldn't have done it without you guys. So a huge thank you to all our listeners. You guys are really awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, But before we get started with today's case, we wanted to add a little disclaimer. The details of this case are rather violent and graphic, 
Usually we try to leave gratuitous, violent descriptions of crimes we cover out, but occasionally they're relevant to the story, and this is one of those times. So for those who are sensitive to that type of content, please be advised. This week we will be discussing the murder of Stacy Hanna. Stacy was an 18-year-old woman who had just moved to Richmond, Virginia. She had recently relocated and even found a group of friends. She was making a place for herself in the world, and for the first time she was feeling like she belonged. It would be her own friends that would turn on her and ultimately take her life. The attack Stacy suffered was long and brutal. The crime left the community shocked at the sheer magnitude of the callousness and violence that was directed towards one young woman. Why did they kill her? The reason would raise more questions than it would answer. So before we begin with the case, I wanted to share about the first time I went to Richmond. I had just moved to Virginia, and I hadn't really explored much of my new state. I had very little knowledge of the cities outside of the one I lived in. Even though I was going there for work, I was really looking forward to visiting Richmond because it has so much history, one that played such a significant role in the development of our country. Also, I really wanted to check out the Edgar Allan Poe Museum. Needless to say, I was anxious to quickly fulfill my boring work duties to be free to see the sights. But, and this seems to happen to me frequently, I got lost. This was before smartphones, but I had printed out directions for MapQuest, so I thought I was prepared. Worried that I would miss my appointment, I drove down the old streets, desperately looking for the one I was supposed to be on. I didn't have a chance to admire the Victorian-style houses or the buildings that have stood witness to both the Revolutionary and Civil Wars. I was completely distracted that at first I didn't notice that I had stumbled into a part of Richmond that I didn't expect to see or honestly didn't even know existed. I grew up in Southern California, as both of you did, Colleen and Eileen, so we're used to seeing neighborhoods that are bogged down with poverty and crime. We were fortunate enough not to have lived in those areas, but we've driven through them, knew people who lived there, and heard about them on the nightly news. At first, I wasn't nervous or scared when I saw that I was in a dodgy part of town, though I did think to myself, holy shit, this place rivals some parts of LA. This surprised me. I didn't know places like this could exist in Virginia. I was driving in circles. The directions I had were worthless. I had to stop to ask for directions. I couldn't find a gas station since I was in a residential part of town, but I did see an abandoned warehouse that was in the midst of being renovated. I parked my car, and without much thought, besides worrying that I was definitely going to be late to my appointment, I stepped over the two-by-fours and bricks and entered the dark warehouse. There, I found three construction workers who were a little surprised to see me. When I explained my predicament, they paused before asking me if I realized where I was. Richmond, I answered with a shrug. Yeah, they said, you're in Richmond, all right. Only this is the side of Richmond you shouldn't be in. One looked at me with a very serious expression before saying, it isn't safe for you here, young lady. At this point, I was a little freaked out. I was alone in a dark warehouse with three men and their power tools. They must have seen my confused expression rearrange itself to one of fear because before I knew it, they were packing up their tools. 
I told them that they could simply point me in the right direction, but no, they were adamant in helping me find my destination. They, felt, they asked me to follow behind their truck and they would get me to where I needed to be. 20 minutes later, I was waving go goodbye to the construction workers. The area around me was once again what I expect to find in Richmond. The streets were quaint, filled with historical buildings, but I'd never have forgotten the other side that I briefly got a glimpse of, a side that was so dangerous that three men felt they needed to escort me out of it and into safety. However, I shouldn't have been surprised. During the 1990s, Richmond had some of the highest crime rates in the country. In 1994, the city became the murder capital of the United States with 160 homicides. That's about two killings every week. Most of the victims were young African-American males and many of these homicides have never been solved. The year that this case takes place, the murder rate had slightly improved, but not by a whole lot. In July of 1997, Stacy Hanna, an 18-year-old recent high school graduate, volunteered to help her friend Dana Vaughn move from their hometown of Lynchburg, Tennessee, to Richmond. Stacy hadn't planned on staying in Virginia, but once she arrived, she quickly decided not to return home. In Richmond, Stacy found a room on Belmont Street close to Carytown, which is now a trendy part of the city. But in the 1990s, this area was riddled with crime. In fact, many of the local takeout restaurants refused delivery to that part of the neighborhood. The row of houses on Belmont Street was a chain of dilapidated, unofficial halfway homes to teenagers who were looking for a place to crash. The homes weren't much to look at. They were in much need of serious repair, but to the kids who lived there, it was an oasis, a place of solace where they finally belonged. It was on Belmont Street where Stacy met four new friends, Kelly Tibbs, Tracy Bittner, D'Amica Winkler, Stephanie Cole, all between the ages of 18 and 19. The women all had similar pasts with troubled homes and problems with not fitting in at school. None of the women were runaways, but their families weren't overly concerned with where they were living either. The women also were lesbians. This resonated with Stacy, who had recently come out to her family. Stacy never felt like she fit in while living in Lynchburg, a town that got its name as an ode to a popular lynching tree, which, by the way, I found to be really odd. It's easy to understand Stacy's excitement, her relief, and hope upon meeting a group of people who she could relate to. Kelly Tibbs, or Turtle, as her friends called her because of the small turtle tattoo on her hand, was the so-called leader of this group of young women. Her past was a bit unclear, but she did have a five-year-old daughter, which, according to a few reports, may have been from a rape, and had been living on Belmont Street for some time. Despite her troubled past, Tibbs was charismatic, could be sweet and funny, qualities that made people notice her and want to be around her. Stacy was drawn to Tibbs who, like the other women, embraced her sexuality. In the 1990s, this took some courage. Tibbs and Tracy Bittner had been in a relationship, but ended their affair right before Stacy met the women. Stacy's new friends offered her a place to live in the house they were staying at. At first, Stacy was welcomed into their group. They gave her clothes to wear, introduced her to people, helped her find a waitressing job, and most importantly, accepted her for who she was. Soon, Stacy and Tibbs began seeing each other. 
To Tibbs, her relationship was a casual affair. Everyone assumed that she and Bittner would eventually get back together since they had a history of breaking up and getting back together again. Stacy, however, felt differently. By this time, she was utterly infatuated with Tibbs. Stacy was threatened by Tibbs and Bittner's romantic history. She started to insinuate to Tibbs that Bittner had been bad-mouthing her. Stacy did whatever she could to keep the exes apart, even if that meant telling the two women little lies about each other or the little pet peeves that annoyed them while in the relationship. These small deceits kept Tibbs and Bittner from resuming their relationship. However, Stacy's lies weren't enough to persuade Tibbs to be with her. On July 24th, Tibbs and D'Amico Winkler had a physical altercation with Stacy. They pushed her around a little as a warning to stop making up stories about Tibbs. None of the women were seriously injured during this fight. Tensions continued to run high among the women of Belmont Street, with their group fractured by the strain caused by Stacy. It didn't help that personal items had started to go missing as well. They had never had any issues with things disappearing, at least before Stacy's arrival. This made the girls suspicious of their new roommate. On July 26, Tibbs, Winkler, Bittner, and Stephanie Cole were riding together on their way to a party. Tibbs and Winkler told the other women about the stories that Stacy had made up about Tibbs. The exes had been avoiding one another, hurt by the gossip and lies Stacy had been spreading about them, but they realized that they didn't hate each other. In reality, they actually still really cared for each other and perhaps even wanted to get back together. They soon understood that they had been tricked by Stacy's gossip, which they didn't really appreciate. It was then that the four women decided they were going to, quote, kick Stacy's butt to teach her a lesson for lying. The ladies arrived at the party. Stacy was there with her hometown friend Dana Vaughn. The group invited Stacy and Vaughn to Marshfield, a popular secluded drinking spot for locals, and this wasn't an unusual request. This was something that the women often did. Stacy and Vaughn agreed. The six girls piled into Cole's Ford Tempo with Tibbs and Bittner in the front and Stacy, Vaughn, and Winkler in the back. Once settled in the car, the women took off for the night. Once the group arrived to the field, they all exited the car, with the exception of Stacy and Vaughn. Vaughn hadn't been feeling well when they left the party and had taken some medicine that made her feel groggy. I can't help but imagine what the girls discussed on the 15-minute ride out into the field. I wonder if Stacy had any idea that her new friends were going to turn on her again. She had just mm-hmm. gotten into a fight with Tibbs and Winkler a few days prior to this. So I, I wonder if she knew that they were still angry with her for starting the drama. I believe she must have been initially because she didn't get out of the car when they arrived to the field. But whatever Stacy was thinking, was thinking or feeling, I'm sure she didn't anticipate what was about to unfold. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really hard to think about, you know, during the whole ride, they all had to play it cool. And they also had so many opportunities to turn around and not go through with what they were about to do. I know. I was wondering the same, you know, I wonder if Stacy had any kind of inkling something was up, you know, kind of in those situations, you sort of get that, you know, sixth sense sort of the lizard brain feeling, but um, you know, either way, uh, after several moments, Tibbs came back to the car while Stacy joined them, the other three in the field. Once Stacy was among the group, Tibbs left the car to join the rest of everybody in the field. The attack on Stacy happened suddenly. Tibbs and Winkler began to 
hit and kick Stacy while standing next to a small abandoned building uh, within the field. Soon, Bittner and Cole joined in. They took turns punching Stacy. One of the girls had a box cutter, which they didn't mind sharing with each other. They each took turns wielding this box cutter and slicing Stacy. While one was busy slicing Stacy, the others pushed and punched and kicked the 18-year-old girl. Vaughn watched from the car while her friend was attacked. She later reported that within minutes, Stacy's back was just covered in blood. She witnessed Winkler take off her belt to strike Stacy before throwing a cinder block onto her head. Uh, this quote-unquote lesson lasted roughly 10 minutes. When Tibbs, Bittner, Winkler, and Cole were finished, Stacy was still alive. She had been slashed 65 times, was heavily bleeding, was in and out of consciousness, but she was still alive. As the girls drove, the reality of what they had done to Stacy started to settle in. They all agreed that they hadn't intended to hurt Stacy as severely as they had. They just wanted to make sure that she understood that telling lies about them wasn't okay. They debated on what to do next. They discussed taking her to the nearby hospital, but that idea was quickly squashed when they realized that Stacy would undoubtedly tell the police who was responsible. One of the girls had the idea of cutting out Stacy's tongue, but Winkler pointed out that that wouldn't do much good if Stacy could still write about what happened. So the tongue thing is weird. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that would be a suggestion because, I mean, it's A, a stupid suggestion, but it's also really, like, I don't know, medieval. It's kind of gross. And I don't know what I would do. I'm surprised that the girls decided to proceed with the attack while Vaughn was there. She potentially could have stopped the attack or interfered or attacked some of the other girls, but she's also a witness. It's hard to say what I would have done when I was 18. I know what I hope that I would have done, but unfortunately being in this situation is different than hypothesizing on what you might do. She had taken some sort of medicine and she was groggy. uh, So maybe that's why she didn't step in or she could have been afraid that they would all turn on her and beat her too. It is four on one. I mean, I know I would have tried to stop an attack on my friend, but I could see Vaughn being a scared kid, not sure what to do. Yeah, it's hard to know what you would do uh, at 18 or even now. I I would be scared that I'd be next, but I would like to think I would try to stop them before they beat her up like so much, you know, before it got like so bad. Um, I think it just went too far. And then you have people talking about cutting tongues out and such. I think once it got to that point, that would put a lid on me if I was Vaughn. (laughs) You know, we're going to cut out her tongue. I I would probably shut up after that. I'm sure Vaughn was scared shitless. I would have been. Plus just the shock of it all. She and Stacy mm. may have had some idea that the women were going to beat Stacy up. There were, you know, already conflict within the group, but I doubt either expected the viciousness of the attack. I don't know. I would like to think that I would have stepped in, but I honestly, I honestly don't know if I would have. Um, yeah. It sounds just. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So brutal and so awful what they did to her that I'm sure Vaughn was in a was in shock by it all the women drove on 30 minutes had nearly passed when Bittner had the idea of killing Stacy it was the only way to make sure that she didn't rat on them Tibbs Winkler and Cole all agreed with Bittner the group returned to the field Stacy was where they had left her she was losing a copious amount of blood but she was still alive Tibbs Bittner Winkler and Cole pulled Stacy across the field before dumping her in the tr- into the trunk of the car. Stacy begged to sit up front, but Call said, and I quote, that blood would get everywhere. The women intended to take Stacy to a secluded backcountry road, only Stacy wasn't going to be quiet. She started pounding on the roof of the trunk. She screamed for help, begged to be set free, until the group had to stop the car. Cole pulled over and opened the trunk. She told Stacy to be quiet before deeply cutting her leg with the box cutter and spitting on her. This didn't stop Stacy's pleas for mercy as the group drove on. Again, Cole stopped the car. This time, Winkler opened the trunk to tell her to shut up. Stacy swore that she wouldn't tell anyone what they had done to her. Again, Winkler told her to shut up. She also demanded that Stacy hand over her watch and two rings. Stacy asked if she could keep one of the rings, but Winkler wanted all of her jewelry. Before the trunk was closed, Stacy had one last request. She asked if she could call her mother. This request was denied. The group drove on. Once again, it was discussed if they should take Stacy to the hospital. Bittner and Winkler adamantly opposed this. When they arrived, to the back road, they jerked a still-conscious Stacy out of the trunk and dragged her through the mud. Again, they took turns with a box cutter. Despite the deep gash that Cole inflicted on Stacy's back, she still continued to live, and I don't know how. <laughs> Tibbs stripped Stacy of her clothing. Stacy had borrowed the outfit she was wearing from Tibbs. The clothing must have been nothing more than bloodied rags after this attack. But once Stacy was naked, Bittner tried to cut her throat while Winkler held her face down in the mud. But Bittner couldn't get the cut deep enough, and Stacy continued to live. Stacy continued to cry for her mother and begged for mercy until they quieted her by shoving mud into her mouth. Stacy's official cause of death was blood loss and drowning. At some point during the final attack, Cole returned back to the car. Now, this wasn't because she suddenly developed the conscience. Rather, she suffered from a severe form of rheumatoid arthritis. Cole had a hard time standing for long periods of time and often relied on a wheelchair. This made physical exertion difficult, and I guess she had overdone it earlier in the evening. Once Stacy was dead, Bittner and Winkler returned to the car. Tibbs stayed behind with Stacy's body. She didn't really provide an explanation for staying behind with Stacy alone. Only Tibbs herself knows why she did that. This is part of the case that makes it so disturbing to me. I tried to imagine the terror that Stacy must have been experiencing during the attack, her friends, the group that she thought she belonged to, along with the woman that she cared about turning on her. 
The terror she must have felt as they passed the box cutter back and forth between them as they kicked and punched her for 10 minutes. The pain and the fear Stacy endured is simply inconceivable to me. But then the four girls leave. And Stacy is alive. Granted, she's messed up, but she's alive. And she probably would have survived with the right treatment. All they had to do was take her to the hospital. The fear that she must have felt during the time that she was alone, it had to have been mixed with some relief. She must have finally felt safe when her attackers were gone and she was alone. Only then to have the four girls come back. I think of her lying there, her blood pooling beneath her, hearing a car pull up in the distance. Perhaps she hoped or even believed that another group was there to party in the field. It was a local um, hotspot for drinking. So she probably felt hope that help had found her. But then to realize yeah. that it was her, her so-called friends again. And that they had arrived to finish her off. She just must have been just simply terrified. And I just find that so disturbing. I know it is. It's just such a brutal and senseless murder. I mean, when it's all over some, quite frankly, age appropriate bullshit, 18 year old girls getting catty and making up stories. Nobody's ever heard of that before. It's just the level of brutality in all of it is just, it is really shocking and just really sad. I, kind of don't know what to say other than that disturbing to say the absolute least it was really hard to read through all of this and committing this level of violence and just the overall callousness of the crime is just shocking and awful and when you think back to why all this started because stacy had tried to drive a wedge between tibbs and bittner it just makes her death more tragic because the reason for killing her is just ridiculous yeah the girls didn't bother to hide Stacy's body. Instead, they left her naked with her skin shredded and her mouth full of mud for somebody else to find. Dana Vaughn had remained in the backseat of the car during the attack, but she heard all about it as the ladies drove away. The four women bragged about what they'd done to Stacy, and they said Stacy put up a good fight, that it took a while for them to kill her, but they persevered. Vaughn later told investigators at one point when Bittner was complaining about how long it took Stacy to finally die, she said that she had said to Stacy, quote, give me your heart, bitch. Why won't you die? Tibbs claimed that one of the women carved the word liar into Stacy's back with the box cutter. God. Winkler reminded everyone that the same thing could happen to them if they snitched about what had what they had done to Stacy. Before heading back to Belmont Street, the women made a quick stop to dispose of the clothes Stacy had been wearing. Once back home, they told another friend, a Claire Watson, about the crime. Watson was later charged with accessory after the fact, since she didn't immediately call the police. The next day, Stacy's body was discovered. Investigators honed in on the four women, and they were all quickly arrested the day after the murder. Winkler was wearing Stacy's watch that she had stolen when the police first interviewed her. When asked why she stole the watch, Winkler shrugged and said she liked it and wanted it. She told the police that Stacy had been scared shitless and couldn't do anything to stop her from taking it. Stacy's rings were never recovered. When Winkler was asked why the woman had killed Stacy, she replied, "There are times when people need to die." And this was one of those times. In fact, none of the girls did 
much to really defend their actions or give another motive besides wishing to teach Stacy a lesson. Although they all admitted that the attack had gotten out of hand, they insisted that initially they had not intended to kill Stacy. As you can imagine, the newspapers sensationalized the murder and all the women involved. Each article highlighted the women involved were lesbians. Headlines read, Lesbian Love Triangle Ends in Murder. In 1997, killer lesbians sold newspapers. The courts asked the jury not to focus on the fact that crime involved lesbians. But again, this was the 90s and it was in Virginia, so their sexuality was hard for many people to ignore. Each woman's attorney did the best they could to defend them. Tibbs' lawyer told the jury that she was suffered from a deep cut on her hand in an attempt to stop the attack. Winkler's lawyer said that Winkler expressed deep regret for her part in the murder and was normally not one to engage in violence. Both Tibbs and Bittner were sentenced to life in prison for first-degree murder. Since Virginia does not have parole, both of these women will most likely spend the majority of their lives in prison. Cull was given a sentence of 20 years. Her attorney argued that due to her physical limitations caused by her rheumatoid arthritis, she was the least culpable of the four women. He argued that she couldn't have participated in much of the beating Stacy was given. Cull's disease inadvertently helped her avoid a life sentence because she returned to her car at the time Stacy finally died during the attack. Ironically, Cole was released on July 27, 2015, the 18th anniversary of the crime she helped commit. Stacy's mother and family were outraged by the insensitivity of Cole's release date, although admitted that it didn't seem to be intentional. D'Amico Winkler was found guilty to the charge of first-degree murder in the commission to steal from the victim, which is a capital crime. Winkler was sentenced to death. Winkler appealed the sentence with the claim that robbing Stacy was never the motive for the murder. There was also some discrepancies that this was not explained adequately to the jury in her first trial. The members of the jury did not get the same instructions that Tibbs and Bittner's jury did. Winkler's attorney maintained that in order to be convicted of a capital crime, there had to be proof that the motive and planning had to be both for the murder and robbery of Stacy Hanna. When Winkler appealed, she found an unlikely ally, Stacy's mother, Kathy Hannah Wilson. There were many who felt that Winkler's sentence had to do with the fact that she was the only African-American out of the four women. Kathy Hannah Wilson was one of these people. She told reporters that all the women were equally responsible for her daughter's death. She agreed that it was suspicious that the only black woman in the group was the one who received the death penalty. Kathy Hannah Wilson insisted that Stacy wouldn't have agreed with the death penalty charge for Winkler. She stated, and I quote, my daughter was not prejudiced at all. She would not have liked the idea of someone being executed because of their race. During her appeal, Winkler's lawyers argued that she didn't set out to murder with the intention to rob Stacy. The stolen watch wasn't why Stacy had been murdered. The stealing of the watch was just an afterthought. Winkler had admitted to investigators that Stacy willingly gave her the watch and the rings because she had been too afraid of what Winkler might do if she refused. But she also admitted that the women were going to kill her regardless. It was also argued that Winkler was the one who threw the cinder block that fractured Stacy's skull during the first attack. This was true. However, Winkler's attorney countered by saying that Bittner had tried to cut Stacy's throat, uh, that the killing was her idea in the first place, Uh, but she didn't get the death penalty charge. 
Winkler lost her appeal. The jury did agree that Winkler was not motivated to rob Stacy with the intention to kill her. However, the jury was not comfortable with Winkler's demand for the jewelry while Stacy was in a debilitated condition that Winkler herself helped cause. In addition to this, Winkler, along with her companions, attempted to conceal their crime of assault, battery, and robbery by taking Stacy to a desolate location to murder her. The official court document states possession of the fruit of the crime together with other evidence in this case, may show conclusively that the violence against Stacey Hanna and the trespass of her property were so closely related in time, place, and casual connection as to make the killing, as a matter of law, a part of the same criminal enterprise as the robbery. D'Amico Winkler's charge of a capital murder with the commission to still was upheld. If the sentence was followed through, she would have been the first female prisoner to be put to death in the state of Virginia since 1912. But the judge overturned Winkler's sentence to be executed. Instead, she is serving a life term for the murder and the robbery of Stacey Hanna. Tibbs, Bittner, and Winkler are all serving their time at the Fluvana Women's Correctional Facility in Virginia. Kelly, Turtle Tibbs, can be found looking for love on the Paper Dolls website, a dating site for women who are incarcerated. When I first heard about this case, I thought I might have some sympathy towards Tibbs and her group. They were lesbians during a time when it really wasn't socially accepted. They all had trouble home lives, and they were very young when the crime was committed. I have students who are 18 and I struggle sometimes seeing them as adults because I can I see the decisions that they make at times which is still very Mm -hmm. adolescent I've often wondered why I'm so intrigued by true crime I believe that part of it is trying to figure out why a person would commit a violent crime in the first place and I expected to find a reason among these women but I didn't they had so many opportunities to stop the attack, to take Stacy to the hospital to get help. I really struggled with that. And plus, these women, they didn't know Stacy for long. She had only arrived in Richmond at the beginning of July. The murder took place on July 26th and into the 27th. It's hard for me yeah. to understand how the women grew to hate Stacy so much in less than three weeks that they were able to commit such violence against her. I understand that Stacy started drama and she was telling lies and maybe even possibly stealing from them, but I don't see how this is good enough motive to kill her. I also don't think it's very fair that Stephanie Call was given a 20-year sentence instead of a life term. I believe that all four women should have gotten the same charge and the same Mm -hmm. sentence. Just because Call was unable to stand for the last few minutes of the attack does not excuse her part in it, in my opinion. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, Nicole said it all. This crime is really difficult to get through. I feel like a lot of these women had no plan to back down and not commit the attack. They chose to go through with it. At no point during the attack did anybody stand up and say, hey, we should stop doing this. Or, (sighs) you know, she's had enough. She's learned her lesson, you know, which is what they said they wanted to teach her a lesson. Stacy's death was awful, drawn out, tragic, and completely preventable. The women responsible for her death really scare me, though. The level of hatred and violence is really hard for me to fathom. 
And I do, I agree. I think they should have all gotten equal sentences. They really seem to all be in on the plan and be okay with how it was going. And at the very least, they all participated fully. I don't think that the robbery aspect of the crime is what pushed it over the edge into, you know, like a death penalty case for Winkler. I think the murder itself would be brutal enough. And I don't even agree with the death penalty. (laughs) But, you know... I don't think that you can go, well, she also stole her watch and rings. Therefore, I mean, the, all of the actions leading up to it were awful, but overall there just doesn't seem to be a real reason for her murder. They just decided they didn't like her anymore, which is the same reason that Rachel and Sheila gave for killing Skylar niece, which is kind of a callback to an earlier episode we did that involved teenage girls who killed one of their friends. Yeah, I mean, I also wanted to have some sympathy for these girls who were lesbians in a time and a place when it just wasn't that okay to be gay. But I don't know, just the brutality of the murder is one of the worst, I feel like I've heard. Um, It's just irreprehensible. It's awful. You guys really just said it all. I definitely agree. They all should have been sentenced the same. I don't think that one girl should have gotten off by any means just because, oh, I couldn't stand for the last two minutes, whatever, you know. And no, I don't think it should have been a death sentence because she stole a watch. You know, it's they should have been all life in prison. I'm glad they're all in prison. So, you know, like I said, you guys said it all, but it's it's a brutal, brutal case. It's very sad and very disturbing for, for Stacey. Yeah, very disturbing. Good way to put it. So that wraps us up for today uh, for this episode of Misconduct. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or comments about today's case, head over to our Facebook group or find us on Instagram or Twitter at Misconduct Podcast. We also want to give a huge shout out to the Blank Tapes who do our awesome intro and outro music. You can find them on SoundCloud and give their stuff a listen. Uh, They're also on Bandcamp and Facebook. And like we mentioned in the opening, we just launched our Patreon. You can check out our donate tab or go to the website, patreon.com slash misconductpodcast to check out our rewards and cool merch. Uh, Thank you for listening and we will see you next week. Hi, this is Christy Lee, host of the Canadian True Crime Podcast. My podcast tells Canadian stories of cruel people who committed heinous acts and honours innocent victims who are no longer with us. I start with a deep dive into the story of Paul Bernardo and Carla Hamolka with information you probably haven't heard, and then I venture into some lesser-known Canadian crime stories. You can find me on your favourite podcast app. Just search for Canadian True Crime. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 